0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award winning legend comics and coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today.
1: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 561 the Valentine's Day episode of two, of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, I love you, and my name is Matt Bomb. Well, that because tracks. I, yeah, that sounds like I'm you. I'm in love with that. I get it.
2: Yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, our review spotlight shines on the new Aftershock Western noir comic Undone by Blood and Johnny Christmas's new sci-fi epic Tartarus After that, it's time for comics and cocktails while we review eight more of this Wednesday, February 12th's new comics in the
1: Ludicrous Speed Round. Then it is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're making room in our sacred long boxes for our mouse breed picks for next week. And finally, Mrs. Casey Baum joins us for a very special Nerd at the Movies Harley Quinn Colon Birds of Prey edition. But before Casey finds out what we actually do on this show, we better talk about this week's. No, no. no, no.
2: Uh, you mean the future former Mrs. Bomb?
1: Or the current Mrs. Bomb, as <laughs> the I like The current to
2: Mrs. Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the Doesn't This Just Sound Like Astro City desk, Kurt Busiek, Alex Ross, and Yildre Sinar's previously teased, quote, most ambitious series to ever hit the Marvel Universe, end quote, has been revealed as The Marvels, a team-up story that includes characters from all across the Marvel Universe and even across the publisher's entire history.
1: This series uh, more will f- Conan, huh? Uh,
2: well you know. <laughs> the series will feature different characters in each issue with arcs that pick up on threads spanning the entirety of Marvel's publishing history. And it's in continuity history. I don't understand what that means. Does that mean that they can do a story about Top Dog
1: if they want to one time? Yeah, like I don't get it. <laughs> are the Cowboys of Moo Mesa here? Yeah, I like, think I it, why understand. are we di- making a distinction
2: between <laughs> publishing and continuity? Uh, we're talking characters from. Arcus, who was the original Vision, to Arrow, one of Marvel's most recent uh, creations from the Agents of Atlas. Uh, They will appear and even team up like they do. They
1: really want us to love Arrow. Man, Marvel wants us to. She is on the cover of the
2: first issue, yeah. So here's a big quote from uh, Kurt Busiek. So he's comparing it uh, to something like a Tom Clancy's thriller in the sense that there would be multiple threads of story going on. And those threads might come together and split
1: apart again, or maybe they never even meet. That way we don't have to commit to tying them all together, right? (laughs) So does this sound to you like Marvel trying to do a crisis, perhaps? No,
2: I don't think it has anything to do with that. Um, You don't think so? No, because my first thought was when I first read the, like, it could be anybody. I was like, oh, you mean the secret defenders. (laughs) Right. Uh, And then I read a little bit more and he starts talking about, like... We'll have stories set during World War II, or in deep space or uh, the night before the Fantastic Four take off in their in their spaceship for the first time. And so then I am I thought this sounds just like uh, Astro City, but with Marvel oh. characters.
1: Oh, OK. I see you working now.
2: It says here the first issue starts in Southeast Asia in 1947, shortly after World War Two. Uh, we also get to see Reed Richards before the FF flight, Flash Thompson in the army, classic 1970s Thor and Iron Man fighting monsters.
1: I don't, I don't really know what to make of this comic. It just sounds more confusing than anything else. Thor and Iron Man in the 1970s are fighting monsters. Haven't we established that Iron Man? like, came out of Operation Desert Storm? Well, At I don't know if he or? literally... I don't
2: know if he means that they're going to be in the 70s or if they'll be in their, like, classic costumes, you
1: know what I mean? Or time-traveling, maybe, or something? Who knows? I don't know. I don't yeah. I don't know. I'm saying best-case scenario, time travel. Worst-case scenario, what are you guys doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, I think
1: it's going to be... It might be more,
2: like, anthology style.
1: Yeah. In which case, like, Aren't we already doing that with the entirety of the Marvel Universe? Why do we need to cram it all into one book?
2: I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious about it. I, I like this creative team is great. I like Kurt Busiek. I love Alex Ross. I love Yildre Sonar. I'm having a hard time pegging it.
1: Well, let's talk about the return of the least expected Peter David character ever Speed Freak. Speed Freak fans can only hope. <laughs>
2: uh for, for those of you that don't know peter david created a character in the 90s called speed freak he was a super speedster assassin uh who wore like a shiny metal suit he had a long purple ponytail and he had knives coming out of his arms and he'd cut people up at super speed it was extreme
1: <laughs> it was scary stuff man yeah well, it was scary uh speed freak <laughs> It's not Speed Freak. (laughs) Is there is there a reason why we throw that in there? Is there some Peter David character that I'm not thinking of here? I mean, like, I have to I have to assume it's somebody he created during his run on the Hulk. I don't know, but like, what Smart Hulk is that? Who's coming back? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. This whole thing sounds not ill conceived, but weird. Like, I think I believe that they know what the book is, but I think
2: that they're having a hard time selling it. Yes. To guys like a us without job. seeing it first.
1: They're doing a terrible job getting us excited. Because I don't, it, don't understand what
2: it is. Beyond beyond the fact that it is a comic book by three creators I like.
1: I don't know what it is. Right. May this one is due out, so we shall see. Idea Desk, a group of former Valiant Comics executives and creators have teamed up to form Bad Idea, a new publisher focused on high end comic books available through an extremely limited number of stores. Guess how many? Like, now, better yet, before you guess, let me ask you this I got this idea for a high end publishing comic book publisher that will only be available. Through a few stores, and I want to get as many people excited about it as possible. Yeah. Would you go more than 100 stores or less than 100? Better yet, let me ask you, more than 20 or less than 20? <laughs> it's got to be like 200 stores, right? No, it's 20 goddamn stores. 20 they're going to start <laughs> out with. I mean, I, I okay, when you read that, it sounds ridiculous. I see what they're going for, and these guys are trying to help the retailer, and... And make it seem exclusive and stuff like that. You're playing on that exclusivity thing that well, a lot of people it's hate. Not, but a lot of people also freak out about. It's not just the limited number of retailers. It's yeah, it goes on from there. So bad ideas plans it, are to produce one to two single issue comics per month at a time at a company standard price three ninety nine. They say, quote, these pristinely designed prestige format packages will have no variants, no collections. Further to that, Bad Idea does not plan to release any of their comics digitally. So they've
2: made it about as hard to get as possible. Yes. And so they're playing on the exclusivity. At first at first glance, I thought, yes aptly named company good job you did it you nailed it Mm -hmm. uh and obviously truly
1: a bad idea obviously
2: (laughs) it's a very tongue-in-cheek they knew how people were going to respond right but i read a long interview with the execs involved the editors and stuff and part of it is uh, yes they wanted it they wanted to be retailer focused they want to like every time we every time we put out an issue we are going to promote our retail partners heavily and that's cool that's very cool uh and as for, like, the no variants and the no no trades is baffling to me. Right. Um, it, what they said was, we want to put 95% of our day-to-day focus on making the comics as good as we can. And when you start to bring in other things like new distribution channels, sure, different sure. media, that it complicates things and it takes away from the time that could be
1: spent working on the comics. And I get that. But at the same time, what is to stop these twenty comic stores from going? Yeah, it says three ninety nine in the cover, but I'm going to sell them for fifty bucks each. Well, you know? they I have
2: mean- also very uh, specific rules for how these comics can be sold and displayed. They have to be in oh. like a special display. They oh, the retailers are, are going
1: to love that. They're limiting. <laughs> they're,
2: they're saying you have to limit it to one per customer. Like oh I'm sure there must be something in there about not jacking up the price. And I know that their plan is obviously to expand over time. It just seems like such a weird way to start.
1: Yeah, it's so limited and so exclusive. I mean, and they've got some real creators: Matt Kent and Doug Braithwaite. Or have a book coming out in May, which they haven't revealed what's going to be about yet. They've got a bunch of other people: May Cat, Joshua Dysart, uh, Thomas Giorello, Louis La Rosa. Adam Polina, remember that dude? Yeah. God, I love it's that basically guy. Basically, like a ton of valiant dudes. People yeah. that were R- valiant res- recently. Marguerite Bennett, Eric Heiserer, uh, Jody Hauser, Jeff Lemire. These are big names. Peter Milligan, Zeb Wells. I mean, these are all big names. I don't know. I, I go back and forth because I get the idea of the exclusivity and making it super hot and making it hard to get. So you light that fire and you get people interested. But you're not doing trades. You're not doing reprints. Yeah. So where is the entry for the rest of the world that can't go to these shops? And the interviewer addressed this. Right. And they
2: were very pragmatic about the fact that, like, if somebody wants it bad enough, they're going to find it. They're going to know which stores to go to. So pick up a phone and call one. People will put it online illegally. They and They know it's just a fact of doing business. They're like, so their stance is if somebody really wants to read this book, they're going to be able to no matter what.
1: Fair enough. But I don't know. I, I just mean, this I, seems this I think this seems like a great idea in nineteen ninety-nine. I, I don't know if it's a great idea today.
2: I think trying to impose these very strict procedures is not gonna work out great.
1: No. They're gonna piss people off. Because one retailer is gonna say, fuck it, I'm not doing it, and that messes everything up. Or they're just gonna order copies and put them right on ebay and not even put them on the shelf yeah or hand them to someone else and say do it in your name don't do it in mine yeah i mean like how how are you going to control this are you gonna have the police there is matt kent going to be in one of the stores checking everybody (laughs) it just like i don't think you can legally enforce no like you
2: can't like if legend comics and coffee wanted to put all of their funko pops on the ground and say that's our funko pop section funko could not come to legend and say you can't do that
1: no, now you, now you could say, well, Diamond can say, well, we don't release these comics. They're embargoed until Wednesday, but that's part of a contract you sign and all that. And maybe these guys are signing yeah, that's, those contracts. That's different, but like- I don't know, but how restrictive are these contracts? If if they do catch you putting stuff on eBay, are you no longer one of those twenty stores? Does somebody else get it? Is this I mean, how they do yeah, it? Yeah, I, I be- guess that's that's
2: the only ammunition they have, right? If you don't play ball, you don't get our stuff.
1: I don't know. I, this
2: seems it, silly. It's, I'm it very seems silly. I'm very curious to see how it plays out because, like, if I had gotten that email while I was still working at Legend, I would have laughed. Who the hell do you
1: guys think you are? <laughs> you
2: know,
1: like, bad idea is the wrong name for this company. Silly idea. Silly idea. I mean, I gotta, <laughs> I
2: gotta at least give them credit for having the balls to try it this way.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, if nothing else, the, serious stones, gentlemen. That might M- be all they go. got going for them. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe five years from now, Bad Ideas bought Marvel. Bad Idea owns DC. Brings the whole thing together. We finally get a good DC movie. Who knows? I
2: can't wait for the Bad Idea <laughs> Cinematic Universe. <laughs>
1: And finally,
2: from the Not That Death Metal desk.
1: Yeah, I was excited for a minute until I realized what desk it was.
2: <laughs> After two years of hints and teases, the sequel to uh, Dark Knight's Metal has been announced as Dark Knight's colon, Death Metal. Because metal wasn't hard enough,
1: right? Right, yeah.
2: The initial one, it just wasn't hard enough. It's, yeah, this this metal is much scarier. Uh, it's going to be a six-issue event scheduled to debut May 13th. The entire Metal Creative team, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo, inker Jonathan Glapian, and colorist FCO Placentia are back in a story which picks up threads from the original as well as more recent tales such as Year of the Villain, Scott Snyder's Justice League run, and the current Year of the Villain colon Hell Arisen, which is not very good. No.
1: Uh, neither is Justice League for that matter. No, here's the thing. And we liked Dark Knight's Metal when it came out. It was fun. Yeah, because it was, there was some, goofy. It was goofy. It was wild. It was insane. But now it, it it's just hung around. And it yes. has become, last week, in last week's episode, when I read that Superman quote from the... Uh, Black Lanterns book about the Depression-verse and, like, all this ridiculous (laughs) shit. It's just, it becomes like a Dragon Ball Z comic sooner or later where it's just like, oh, you thought the big guy was big and bad? Well, bad news, he's bigger than bad. Like, okay, I get it, you know? And care. I don't care. Do you care about this at
2: all? Let me read the description because this is what kind of interests me a little bit. The Earth has been consumed by dark multiverse energy, having been conquered by the Batman who laughs and his evil lieutenants. Corrupted versions of Shazam, (laughs) Donna Troy,
1: yada, yada, yada. We know all that. I don't mean to cut you off, but corrupted versions of Shazam. Oh, my God. Donna Troy. That's bad. Supergirl. She's super powerful. That's bad. Blue Beetle. Well, you know, yeah, still bad. Hawkman. Wouldn't want to mess with a bad Hawkman. And Commissioner Jim (laughs) Gordon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did he put the bunny rabbit ears back on? Is it that <laughs> kind of bad? Or like, what are we talking no, here? No, nope, he's
2: just old man Jim Gordon in the trench coat, yeah, like, but now he's got on. red eyes.
1: <laughs> oh, boy.
2: Uh, yeah, all right. So other characters like Batman are part of an underground resistance looking to take control of their world back. Superman is imprisoned, cursed to literally power Earth's sun for eternity. So the promo art they released is like this Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome looking like Batman on a terrifying motorcycle with a huge scythe and Wonder Woman in this, she's got like a chainsaw
1: sword and whatever. It looks bonkers. We're doing that in a Wonder Woman comic right now, and it's very good. Dead Earth. Yeah, yeah. That's a perfect place to tell this story. I don't need it in the regular DCU. Yeah, I just, just,
2: and it's more like Batman who laughs shit
1: and fucking Perpetua. Like, the dark multiverse is a stupid idea. (laughs) It is, it's a dumb idea. We already have a multiverse. Why do we need a dark multiverse? Yeah. How many multiverses are there? Is there a hilarious multiverse? (laughs) A farty multiverse that smells really bad? (laughs) There's like a slightly gassy multiverse. Not to mention the fact that every time we introduce another unstoppably bad version of Batman... What does that do to the other Batman villains, other than just push them to the sideline? And also, actual Batman. <laughs> what does yeah, it do and, to and actual and Batman. Batman? You know, like it just like literally, it just you're taking away from wonderful characters that are never going to be that scary. Because we don't need to be that scary. We just need to be good and well done. And you're putting a Joker Batman mix with spikes for eyes that (laughs) crawled out of a dark hell verse. (laughs) You know, uh,
2: there was a line. There was a line in I think uh, it was Pennyworth R.I.P. this week where somebody is confronting Bruce Wayne and they're like, look, man. There have been two dudes running around Gotham City dressed like Batman, terrorizing the citizens of the city for a year, and you fucked off to some
1: island with Catwoman while true. Bane took <laughs> yeah. over your town. Yeah, I mean, that's just it. Like, if you want to tell this story, fine. We can do that. But I don't think that it works. With the continuity of the regular DCU. It just doesn't. Well, you know that there's it's a reset button. I, I just, I don't. Of course there is. I, of I, course. I'm just, I'm tired. Yes. So we're going to turn the whole world into a Mad Max-esque you know, dystopian nightmare, and then Batman's gonna stop it, and then we're just gonna go back to regular life. <laughs> like, yeah. Really? I mean, it's- we'll just rebuild the Hoover Dam. It'll be fine. Yeah. I
2: don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just. I, I find it exhausting. Like, like yes. you said, I liked metal. We liked metal when it was out. Yes,
1: because uh, it was wacky. It was crazy. Yeah, it, it over took the place top, in yeah. and out of reality, and we fixed it and we shut those holes and went get that out of here. And then they're like nah the bad man who laughs got through like oh okay great so now
2: <laughs> right and now <laughs> he's been around do? for almost three years and right it's, i it's mean, just it's a drag <laughs> i'm ready for it to be over
1: <laughs> it's goddamn exhausting is what it is
2: <laughs> that is your nerd news for the week but i'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while we were hitting the gym to get in badass shape to survive the coming hellscape so hit us up. On we're gonna the-
1: review this. We're gonna need all the spikes in our shoulder pads we can find.
2: <laughs> so hit us up on the THN forums, big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover every Saturday when we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 yeah. to noon Central Standard Time. It is. And you know what?
1: I want to know this week. I want to talk about it. Do you care about this Dark Knight's Metal shit? I want to hear a defense of it. somebody out there loves it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Tell us Scott we're wrong. Snyder loves it. Scott Snyder loves the shit out of it. But tell us we're wrong. I am want to hear from you guys. It's better than the
2: Speed Freak Valentine's Day card I got from Matt. And you control the content. You love Speed Freak. God. It's like I don't even know you anymore. I've moved on as a person, Matt. This week, we are talking about your least favorite Avengers. We're hating on the Avengers. Hate Fest 2020, baby. (laughs) Call us live on the Ziggurat Hotline 402-819-4894 or click the Call Now button on the Facebook page. You can't be there live. That's fine. It's fine. You know what? We're not mad. We're just disappointed. We prefer
1: that you're not there, honestly. <laughs> you, specifically. It's so much Not less- you. It's so but much you. less work.
2: <laughs> yeah. Leave a message. Just leave a message. You can leave a message on the voicemail at any time, day, or night. Are you night. saying they
1: can leave a message? Is that what you're trying to tell me? They can leave a message. <laughs> you said it three times. I want them to know for sure. <laughs> okay.
2: uh, you can also send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com.
1: Spotlight review time in the ziggurat, and this week, we counted who got the most valentines from the Moloids to see who goes first. Joey, you seem to be a little more popular with those pale, squinty-eyed freaks than I am, so uh, you get to go first.
2: This week, I am reviewing Tartarus, number one from Image Comics, written by Johnny Christmas, with art by Jack T. Cole, letters by Jim Campbell, and it is designed by Ben Didier, or Didier, maybe he's
1: French. Designed. What does that mean?
2: Uh, I'm going to talk about that.
1: Okay. It's 56
2: right. pages for $5.99, and here is your solicit. A new adventure series with all the sci-fi drama of Breaking Bad set in Moss Isley. Promising young cadet Tildy is framed for crimes against the Empire after discovering her mother was the ruthless warlord of the deadly colony Tartarus, a vital player in the Galactic War. Now, Tildy's only way home may be to reclaim her mother's dark crown.
1: I feel like two very separate people wrote that solicit somebody thought they came up with something really clever with the moss eyes, yeah, bra- thing. <laughs> yeah right
2: the first half of tartarus number one is a brutal prison break featuring the galactic warlord circa stopping at nothing to reach the surface and her newborn daughter the aforementioned tildy Most of the characters in this first half are painted with a pretty broad brush. Uh, Circa is really the main focus, and it doesn't really matter what's going on with most of them. Uh, We also have the prison warden, the Master of Locks, Aikida, which is such a great title. Master of Locks. After their deadly confrontation, the scene transitions to a space station 17 years later. I got a real strong Expanse vibe from these scenes that I really liked. Uh, Christmas spends a lot more time letting us get to know Tildy and her companions. Uh, she's the focus of the story ultimately, and we learn a lot more about this world that she's living in. This is also where we learn more about the past history of this universe and how the events of the past pages connect to Tildy's present. There's a like some sort of devilish figure moving through the background, tempting people and manipulating events to serve his own ends. Uh, The story moves at a breakneck pace, and it doesn't waste any time. It's a lot to take in, I I admit, and I actually learned more with a second read-through. The first time I read it, um, I did not catch that the sergeant from the first half of the book was the same character as the general from the second half.
1: You didn't have any time to catch that. (laughs) Well, I mean... It was...
2: He he's I just didn't remember his name like they know the, him the
1: same way like I read it as well and I texted you while I was reading it and I was like this is fucking nuts <laughs> it was just like the first half of the book is completely insane seas of people breaking out of this place yeah climbing over each other you have no idea what's going it's on it's frantic yeah. The, it's insanity. <laughs> uh,
2: the first thing you see inside the cover are the impressively Hickmanian charts and maps. Uh, I assume courtesy of designer Ben Didier. Uh, right. Jack T. Cole's art. Got to get the T in there because Jack no T. Cole is the creator of Plastic Man. Oh, okay. Uh, Jack T. Cole's art in this issue, I thought it was breathtaking. Uh, his his backgrounds are intricately detailed. Uh, but his characters are more soft, uh, and I thought it was a cool contrast. The lower levels of Tartarus are like a steampunk nightmare, full of yeah. gears and ornate fixtures. Like, why is the elevator like that? Why is that? Why is the elevator shaped like that? In their <laughs> underground prison, then you turn the page. They've escaped, and instead of seeing like some kind of riot squad tank with guns mounted on it, you see. A giant robot eyeball spider with huge arms literally holding a gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. Why? <laughs> uh, the space station has a strong Asian-influenced look. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, it reminded, like, uh, you remember Firefly, where part of the mythology of the universe was that, like, Japan had become, like, a huge global well, china, influence anyway. or oh, maybe it was china yeah, yeah. um and china, so like yeah. there was like signs in chinese everywhere
1: and yeah, people spoke yeah. chinese casually everybody like dropped mandarin into their
2: yeah that's kind of what it reminded me of uh seeing that kind of stuff in the background here totally uh this book it's it's a visual feast and the designs are wonderfully impractical
1: yeah it's almost like i felt like the way they did the design In the very beginning when I started, you open it up and you see like this, this graph of what they're in and what's going on. I'm like, oh, so they're in outer space. They're in a spaceship, I guess. It kind of looks like a spaceship. Maybe that's what's going on. Oh, they're trying to escape the spaceship. Oh, oh, they're not in a spaceship at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, it was just so nuts. And the way that he drew it, that Cole drew this, it very much reminded me of, um, what Michel Fifa is really good at, and that is setting up a mood and setting up these intense scenes where there's just, like, a sea of bodies, you know, running around, and, like, a sea of violence, just a riot, an absolute riot that looks like it's spilling off the page. And when you do get to the next scene, and I'm not trying to give anything away or spoil anything, and realize where they were going and what was happening, it is a shock not only to the characters in the book, but to you, the reader, as well, mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh, God, now they have to deal with this? What is even happening?
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I just, I I loved this. It's a Tartarus, number one. It's a very dense read. Uh, it's got tons Definitely. of huge sci-fi ideas. It's wrapped up in this gorgeous package by Jack T. Cole. Uh, like, I, I looked at it more than once, and each time I looked at it, I saw something different that I really loved. I'm giving this a buy it. It's great.
1: Uh, I'm also giving this a buy it. Um, I love Johnny Christmas, and I think that dude is an amazing artist. And for him to write something like this and choose an artist like Jack T. Cole, who is so different from what Johnny Christmas does. Johnny Christmas has this very clean, manga sort of inspired cartoon style, and Jack T. Cole draws like a crazy person, draws like an absolute lunatic. Like uh, there were parts of this book that I felt like I was gonna lose my breath while I was reading it.
2: Uh it reminded me uh like just just the the wackiness of the concepts and stuff, uh it reminded me of a much less uh juicy version of Simon Roy's Prophet.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Much less moist. Yeah, I mean there was, a, it was very Terry Gilliam sort of in the insanity of it, very fifth element in the scope of what they were doing. And like, this book is nuts. It's totally nuts. And I would understand why some people would say, not for me. I think it's really interesting. I'm looking forward to more. I'm giving it a buy it. Yep. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was second in the Valentine uh, count. So it's my turn now. And I did Undone by Blood, number one from Aftershock. It's written by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson, with art by Sammy Cavella. 32 pages for $4.99. is your solicit. In the early 1970s, Ethel Grady Lane returns to her hometown of Sweetheart, Arizona, with one thing on her mind, killing the man who murdered her family. But first, she'll have to find him. As Ethel navigates the eccentric town and its inhabitants, she learns that the quaint veneer hides a brewing darkness. She has no choice but to descend into a ring of depravity and violence with her only ally, an old West novel that follows famed gunslinger Solomon Eaton. As both stories unfold simultaneously, a love of fiction informs choices in reality for better, for worse, From the minds of yadda yadda yaddy. So yadda, many I words. Told you all this. Okay. Last weekend, my wife and I stopped by a local bar named Night Owl here in Omaha, where they're known to play grindhouse style movies on the big screen and serve very strong cocktails. Casey loves their boozy slushies. Shut out! Shout out to the Night Owl; it's great. This time, Sergio Leone's spaghetti western masterpiece, "Once Upon a Time in the West," was playing. My father first introduced me to the spaghetti westerns of the late '60s and '70s at a very young age, and I have been a giant fan ever since. I love that movie. And it seems the creative team of this book does, too. From page one, Sammy Cavella's art goes from beautiful sepia-tone western scenes to the rough, blown-out colors of neon cowboy bars of the 1970s as Ethel investigates a murder in a small Arizona town. Cavella's style is perfect for this kind of noir storytelling, and he pays amazing attention to his characters, his background designs that keep the reader bouncing from the Western pulp novel playing out in Ethel's head to Arizona of the early 1970s. His panels are dirty and dusty and hot, filled with angry characters that are up to no good. Nadler and Thompson's script is just as mean and gritty as its art. It's obvious these two have spent time watching Leone's films, along with plenty of other gritty 70s crime dramas, and I would not expect there to be any happy ending coming for this series. The story runs in parallels of the two characters. Ethel and the cowboy are both seeking revenge. The cowboy's son was taken. Ethel's investigating the murder of her family. She rides a bike, while the western vigilante, of course, rides a horse. Both characters even get in over their head just as their quest for vengeance begins. Undone by Blood is a beautiful book by a creative team that came to this story with a very solid premise and a very cool plot device. Fantastic art that just oozes with anger and violence and a script to match. I really enjoyed this and I'm giving it a buy. Yeah, I, I loved it. Um, I didn't know anything about it going in. Um,
2: speaking of the art, like I loved the parallel tracks of the yeah, two, it was,
1: it was so cool. Uh,
2: like I think even the, the cliffhanger scene in the novel and the cliffhanger of the actual story were like the same tree, like she's under the same tree. It looks like almost, yeah,
1: they definitely played on that. But like the style that he switched from it's him, it's Sammy Cavelli. He's not yeah. like a complete chameleon, but there's just like really subtle things that he's doing with the color, yeah, and like yep. the perspective. Like the, the cowboy stuff, you're sort of watching this cowboy and it looks very much like you're watching a movie. And when this stuff is happening to Ethel, it's right there in your face. She's getting beat up. She's getting thrown around and stuff like, oh man, it was great. Uh,
2: even the small things like, um, the way the lettering was done, uh, with the novel scenes, Oh yeah, how that was in the, like the Brown boxes as though she were reading it on a page. Yeah. Um, I was very impressed with this. I don't often spend a lot of time reading back matter for books that we're reviewing because I just, I got to get, I got to get through it. Uh, but like I actually stopped and I read that whole chapter of the novel that's in the back, uh, which actually picks up immediately after the cliffhanger in the comic <laughs> where yeah. he wakes up with the rifle in his face. It's great. And it's got like this appropriately cheesy, like Western author, fake name. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was super impressive. I'm giving it a buy-it as well. And I have never heard of Sammy Cavella. That dude's a monster. He's awesome.
1: He's super talented. Yeah, super talented. So that is a double buy-it for Tartarus number one and a double buy-it for Undone by Blood number one. We will post our written reviews over to so women with shaved heads can come looking for the revenge on us. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics So call us this weekend, THN, cover to cover, 11 a.m. to noon. You know how this works, and I'm not friggin' telling you again. Before we leap into
2: the ludicrous speed round, let's turn it over to the official THN bartender, Justin Robert Fletcher, to introduce the cocktail of the week, brought to you by O'Carrant, on the Benson Strip right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Now serving Sunday brunch from 10 to 2 featuring an array of original brunch cocktails designed by Justin. Take it away, Mr. Fletcher.
3: Okay, so this week uh, we're going to do the what we're calling the Big beet Down. Um, so uh, this is going to have beet shrub, um, which is just uh, vinegar and beets that over time will just kind of suck that beet juice flavor out. So we're doing tequila, um, reposado, we're doing cachaça, um, which is kind of a raw sugar, sugar juice, or cane sugar juice, uh, spirit. I think, uh, mezcal tequila, what cachaça is, to rum, um, dry vermouth, and a little bit of sugar. So we're doing an ounce and a half of, ounce, a half of tequila, half ounce of cachaça, half ounce of beet, quarter ounce, uh sugar, and a half ounce of dry vermouth. It's bright red. It's super bright Beautiful. red, yeah. Use Chioga red beets uh, from here to make this. So you're just going to put that into a shaker, uh, throw some ice on it, shake it up for about 30-45 seconds until your shaker's nice and cold. Um, strain it, double strain it into a coupe, and then you're just going to garnish it with a lime peel. Beautiful. So just express the lime peel over the top, and then go to town. It's called The Beat Goes On. I'm here at Alcoran if you want to come give one a try. Beautiful. Perfect for a broken hearted Harley. I love it. Now with drink in hand, join
2: us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's comics during dot, 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 the ludicrous speed round.
1: Ludicrous speed. That was
2: good. Go. Batman, Pennyworth, Rip, One Shot, DC. (laughs) (laughs) The Batman and his sidekicks gather to remember Alfred at the world's worst wake. James (laughs) Tinian the Four, Pete Tomasi, and a host of artists deliver a series of vignettes showing what Alfred meant to each member of the Bat Family, interspersed with scenes of each member of the Bat Family berating Bruce for how he's dealing with the death of his surrogate father. Ease (laughs) up, you jerks. Uh, Apparently, Alfred did everything decked out in full butler gear, including climbing mountains and... Mission impossible down from the ceiling to steal discarded bad gadgets from the GCPD evidence room. It's well, if he didn't dress as a butler,
1: then how would Bruce recognize him? He I dangles mean, come on.
2: Down, he dangles down into the room, and he's got his, like, cummerbund and shit on, and he's wearing a ski mask. It was hilarious. The art from Eddie Barrows, David LaFuente, and others is pretty good throughout, and I did appreciate the writers bending over backwards to make a hitman reference uh they have the wake in noonan's sleazy bar it was great uh of course why wouldn't they have it obviously right yes uh but i thought the tone of the story was just kind of all over the place like he literally just lost his dad and they are in his face yelling at him for not like being a better adult about it i'm giving pennyworth rip a skim it death to the army of darkness number one from dynamite
1: Power Rangers writer Ryan Parrott is the latest to take on Ash, but this time, there's a twist! Ash finds himself teaming up with different versions of himself to fight off the Deadites after trying to separate his destiny from the Necronomicon. There's some really good-looking blocky cartooning art here by Jacob Edgar, and Parrott has some chuckle-worthy dialogue, but it's just not enough to get me excited about the story. There is a twist here, like I said, but it's still the same story of Wisecracking Ash Fighting Deadites at the S-Mart and elsewhere. I can't say I've ever been very excited about the Army of Darkness comics, and this one didn't stand out either. Not a failure by any means, but not much to bring me back for issue number two. I'm kind of shocked they can still print this stuff. Honestly, <laughs> I'm giving it a skim. It <laughs> Superman Heroes one-shot from DC.
2: A gang of super writers and artists team up for this one shot that explores the reactions of Superman's closest friends and allies in the wake of his decision to reveal his secret identity. This issue packs in a ton of emotional moments. Oh uh, man, that that scene with Jimmy, it really got me. It, it's so good. Uh, the art by the likes of Mikes, Norton, and Perkins, Steve Lieber, and others is excellent, despite a few instances of some truly terrible over-rendered coloring. Overall, Superman Heroes gets a buy it. Nebula, number one of five from Marvel.
1: Nebula gets her own mini that sees Thanos' daughter upgrading her systems with experimental tech and unforeseen consequences. Great art by Claire Rowe and a nice job in the lettering and effects that shows the reader what Nebula is seeing with the new tech in her head. The story's interesting, I suppose, and maybe I fell behind, but didn't Nebula become a hero recently? Uh, Not that I have a problem reading a villain, and writer Vita Ayala does a nice job on the script and some particularly nasty fight scenes. I like Nebula as a character, and the twist in the end is interesting, especially if it sets up a new direction for Nebula. Well, she's really just been Thanos' daughter and an evil meanie for quite some time now. I'd like to see them do a little something different here, and it seems like that's what they're building towards. Giving it a bite.
2: I actually don't remember the last time I read a story with Nebula in it.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look it up.
2: Alienated number one from Boom. Simon Spurrier and Chris Wild Goose... Yeah, that's right. Bring this. of a name, Chris. I know. They bring this tale of quote three kids called Sam each isolated from their peers in different ways that are bonded together after discovering an alien creature in the woods. Spurrier's script is compelling. He does a great job establishing each character like he literally gets us in their heads. Very impressive art by Chris Wild Goose, who is another person I have never heard of before today. No. And he delivers a truly distressing moment of horror as the kids discover that what they found is a lot scarier than they thought. I really enjoyed Alienated Number it's One. Like,
1: I'm giving it a buy it. What if ET's butt was full of teeth? Like type. It's <laughs> like, more like, yeah! um,
2: what if ET had the powers of a cosmic god and none of the uh, experience or morality to use them properly? <laughs> huh. All right. Sort of like Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Transformers Valentine's Day Special from IDW.
1: Let me tell you, it's just not Valentine's Day unless we get a Transformers Valentine's Day special. Now, you might not think of giant transforming robots when it comes to love stories. They don't even have genitals! But this creative team did a really nice job writing an intelligent and sweet couple of stories that see some lesser-known Autobots learning to compromise for their relationship, and one very lonely bot finding a new relationship in deep space. I enjoyed this way more than I thought I would. And yes, I'm getting tired of the broken record that is me saying, I can't believe how good these IDW Transformers comics are every time I read one. But yeah, I can't believe how good this was. (laughs) That said, this is a Transformers Valentine's Day special, so your mileage may vary. But I had a lot of fun with this, and I'm giving it a buy-it. It It just—it was really good. Just you wait until the
2: Transformers My Little Pony crossover comes out.
1: (laughs) Gwen Stacy, number one from Marvel.
2: Writer Christos Gage and artist Todd Nock jump in the Wayback Machine for a glimpse at the life of Gwen Stacy. She's been sort of recast as a Nancy Drew-esque character. She helps her dad solve cases. Uh, She gets in Wacky Adventures. The creators take a page from the excellent untold tales of Spider-Man series from the 90s, dancing in the gaps of classic continuity that you didn't even really know were there. Nox art has kind of a timeless quality that suits the story well. Look, I honestly can't understand the decision to publish a throwback series about a character that's better off as like this mythic inspiration.
1: Yeah, I don't get it at all. I really don't get it.
2: Especially when they already have Spider Gwen
1: running around. <laughs> but that Spider Gwen's not the same Gwen, right? No, she's Gwen from an alternate universe, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, alternate reality, that's right. Okay. That said, I kind of liked Gwen
2: Stacy number one. I'm giving it a buy it.
1: I just can't wait to see her, you know, start that relationship with the Green Goblin and get pregnant and give birth I to hope the we twins. get I hope we get to see <laughs> that scene. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta do it, boys! You open this can of worms. Here we go.
2: Star Trek Year 5 Valentine's Day Special from, you guessed it, IDW. Wait, It's specifically a Star Trek Year 5 Valentine's
1: Day Special? Yep, it is specifically Star Trek Year 5. And every year, I like to say, it's just not Valentine's Day unless we get a Star <laughs> Trek Year 5 Valentine's Day Special. Now, you might not think of the crew of the original Enterprise when it comes to love stories. And for that, you would be plain old wrong. Paul Cornell writes an excellent Trek story following the one that got away from Captain Kirk. Cornell's story is spot on. He nails the voices of every crew member and gives us a legitimately sweet Star Trek romance told from the point of two Starfleet captains crossing each other's paths over the years. Christopher Jones is wonderful on art, capturing the likeness of the TV actors with just enough cartoon style to not look like he's photo referencing. Charlie Kirchhoff's colors just pop with late 60s future style and make this story look kitschy and fun. I loved this, and I'm giving it a buy it. Both Valentine's Day specials were so good. I'm going to choose to
2: believe that the first half of this review is identical to the other one on purpose.
1: Yes, that's the joke.
2: Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's not Valentine's Day until we get a Transformers special. It's not Valentine's Day until we get a. Star you might not Trek think of dot 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 as dot 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 when it comes <laughs> exactly. to love stories. Shaka zaza. That is your ludicrous speed round. Shaka zaza is a sound of mild Morales hitting some ratsies with his venom blast as seen in the pages of Spider-Verse number five. And this on of the week comes courtesy of at comic book FX on Twitter, which sounds like it could be a group of people. Comic really? book uh, FX, not E F F E C T S. If you want to submit an on of the week, you can check as is it all over us or just post it on our social media accounts or send an email to two nerd at gmail.com. And Hey, Do you want to help stock the Ziggurat Bar? Click our Donate Now button and buy us a bottle of booze, why don't you? You can even just buy us a drink or tip our bartender, Justin. We'll even mention you in the Cocktail of the Week segment. It's time to head up
2: to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I are celebrating Valentine's Day with some CBD chocolates, CBD body massage oil, And
1: CBD-infused
2: cocktails, courtesy of Matt's other podcast.
1: Don't tell him about this, okay? (laughs) It's supposed to be for research.
2: (laughs) Matt, while these moloids rub us down, why don't we share our must-read comics for next Wednesday?
1: Next Wednesday, I'm excited for the return of Wolverine in the pages of Wolverine. Number one. No shit. This is the first Wolverine series we have had since he died starring the actual character yeah is that nuts it's been like t- it's almost 10 years no like.
2: <laughs> there was old they danced around it there was old man logan and then they yeah, did yeah, yeah. doesn't, they count. doesn't wolverine.
1: count wolverine number one from marvel it's written by ben percy with art by victor bugdenovic 72 pages for 7.99 and i'm sorry i did that to you victor but you do sound like somebody that beat up rocky in rocky 4 here is your solicit <laughs> Wolverine been through a lot That's what it says Wolverine been through a lot It's written like you're a trucker, I guess He's been a loner He's been a killer He's been a hero He's been an Avenger He's been to hell and back Now, as the nation Quakoa Brings together all mutant kind He can finally be Dot, dot, dot Happy? Question mark With his family all together and safe Wolverine is everything you ever wanted And everything to lose Yada, 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 bring the best there is to his new home, plus the return of Omega Red. Omega Red is a mutant, right? Yes. Did they bring that fucking psychotic lunatic back from the dead and put him on Krakoa? (laughs) Well, I mean, they've done it with all the other villains. Yeah, I mean, like, Black Tom is there and shit. Like, really bad guy. Mr. fucking Sinister. I mean, dude, Apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Apocalypse is there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I presume uh, he's got a pod. uh, He had a pod somewhere. I just, look, here's the deal. Is this going to be good? I don't know. I just, I really want to read a good Wolverine book monthly. I miss my Wolverine. Uh,
2: So Ben Percy is the guy that uh, wrote the Wolverine, the long night podcast. Uh, he also did the comic adaptation of the first season and yeah, it's good. It's good. So I think he's a good writer. Uh, he also writes season podcast was really good too. He also writes, I think he writes X force, right? He writes X force. Yes. He's, isn't there a couple people writing it? Is it just him or is there two of them? No, I think it's just him. Yeah. I like, I've, I've come to appreciate Ben Percy. I think he's got
1: the chops. He's good, and I look forward to seeing him focus and just give us a one-character story. We really don't have that going on anywhere in any of the X-Books right now, so this will be a nice place Yeah, not really to get that single-character story from their point of view. Here's what's going on, and why shouldn't it be Wolverine? I mean, come on. It usually is. Yeah. We're not, certainly not getting a Cyclops book anytime soon. Joe Patrick, <laughs> what's your pick for next week? My pick for next week is bang
2: number 1 from Dark Horse. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Wilfredo Torres. It's 32 pages for 3.99 and here is your solicit. A best of the best secret agent with memories he couldn't possibly possess. A mystery writer in her 60s who spends her retirement solving crimes. A man of action with mysterious drugs that keep him ahead of a constant string of targeted disasters a seemingly omnipotent terrorist organization that might be behind it all. And they're all connected to one man, a science fiction author with more information than seems possible, whose books may hold the key to either saving reality or destroying it. This sounds weird. Sounds nuts. I know. I'm excited. I've seen the preview. Uh, some previews for it. It looks amazing. The art amazing. looks really good.
1: Yeah, the art uh, looks really good.
2: They're calling it a mind-bending story that ties in with past Matt Kent works like Revolver. That's cool. Okay. Revolver was good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought at first that it was just like a spy book, but
1: it seems like way more than that. The t trade of the Week goes to Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs, a hardcover from Dark Horse. It is written and drawn by Minitaro Mochizuki. 80 pages for 19 Here's your solicit. This manga, adapted by the film by legendary director Wes Anderson, features a new take on the story about the banished Bowsers of <laughs> Trash Island. Here we follow a young orphan boy and his dog Spots on an adventure that all fans of the film will want to follow. Written and drawn by cult manga icon Minitar Mochizuki of Dragonhead fame and now available in English for the very first time and presented in a deluxe hardcover format. This is the perfect gift for all fans of Wes Anderson, dogs, and manga alike. I like Wes
2: Anderson. I like dogs. I don't have a lot of experience with manga, but two out of three ain't bad.
1: Did you see Isle of Dogs? You know what? I missed it. It was wonderful. I'm sure it was, it was. absolutely wonderful. Like, it was I, so good.
2: I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, and I, I oh just my God. I'd
1: never. I never, so huge that you haven't seen all his movies. Look, man, That's amazing. you must be
2: I, wow. <laughs> I, I just didn't get around to seeing it in the theater, and I think because it was animated, my mind like put less of a priority on it. I was just like, "Oh." Did catch you see on the that.
1: Fantastic Mr. Fox? Yes,
2: I saw the Fantastic Mr. Fox. That was wonderful. I know, Matt. I'm so saying, why wouldn't you want more of that? Look, I am admitting that it is a failing on my part. Okay. Yes, it is. I don't is. need it you to pile is. on.
1: This looks excellent. Minotaro Mochizuki is a master. And it looks like he's going to just—he's borrowed that same quirky animation look and just thrown it right on the page. This is going to be beautiful. I think it looks awesome.
2: These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your local comic shop next week. But we want to hear about your must-read picks and all the films from your
1: favorite director that you skipped. Because you're also not a real fan. Shut up. Just like Joe. Shut
2: up. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also tell us what you'd like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget to pre-order your comics every week.
1: Last week, right after we got done with THN cover to cover, Joe Patrick and I went to go see Birds of Prey. Colon, Harley, the fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, who has since been retitled to Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey, <laughs> <Right. laughs> in a desperate attempt to make more money. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Nerd at the Movies. This time with a special guest star. That's right. We drug my wife along. It is my great pleasure to welcome my wife, Mrs. Casey Baum, to the Ziggurat. Casey, how are we feeling this evening?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Right now, we're going to be talking about the film that was called Birds of Prey and the fabulous fantabulous. Emancipation, fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, but now has been retitled to Harley Quinn. Colon, Birds of Prey. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Yes, Uh, yes.
1: What might be kind of a little late for that? Uh,
2: (laughs) It's a real
1: edge of tomorrow uh, live, die, repeat situation we got here. I guess so. (laughs) Casey, how did you feel? You're not a nerd like us. You had no expectations. Did you see Suicide Squad?
0: No, I did not see Suicide Squad.
1: Okay, but you're aware of... Suicide Squad and what happened.
0: I mean I'm aware that it exists. I don't know what it is. Okay. I can't name you any characters besides The Fourth Best Joker by Jared Leto and <laughs> Harley Quinn. Okay. <laughs>
1: so what did you think? I mean, what did you think of this movie?
0: I thought it was super fun. I really liked it. Um, I I thought the music was really good. I thought the costumes were great. I thought the fight scenes were sick.
1: The fight scenes were really good. Oh my
0: good. god, they were so brutal, but they were fun. And they were just really creative. Um, the choreographer, I think, for John Wick, did the fight scenes here, and you—I mean—you could tell because John Wick has some of the best fight scenes ever, too. Um, I thought everyone was super believable. I really liked the cast. Um, so I hadn't seen Margot Robbie, Robbie do this before, play Harley Quinn. So I don't know what she's done previously, but I thought she was really good.
1: I mean, like I—I I would say her performance in this was very similar to what. I mean it was what she channeled in Suicide Squad.
2: Yeah. She's kind of aping past versions of the character like from the animated series and, and Definitely. stuff like that. Definitely. Um but yeah, I, I would say that she might she's maybe a little bit wackier in this movie than she was in Suicide Squad.
1: Without a doubt. It but that's because like of the that's because of the too. movie, not the Suicide Squad was not rated R, correct? Uh I don't think so, no. And this was rated R. It was indeed. Okay, so because they yeah. were, they leaned into the whole, like, potty mouth thing, definitely. Oh, well, there it.
0: was... I wouldn't say... Yeah, but I feel like the violence alone would make it R over that. Yeah. I mean... Like, there was you know, you'd cursing, be for sure.
1: I feel like you could... I feel like this was violent, sure, but I don't know that this was, like... This was John Wick
0: violence.
1: I honestly, Uh, I thought the violence wasn't, I mean, like, it was violent, but there wasn't, like, blood and gore all over the place. No,
2: but there there was, like, very hideous, bone-breaking, like.
0: Yeah, definitely. You you see her invert a
2: guy's kneecaps twice. (laughs) I
0: love that so much.
1: (laughs) They definitely had quite a bit of money in the broken leg, (laughs) like, fund. (laughs) The broken leg budget. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) The broken leg budget was off the chain. They should have
2: spent
0: a little bit of it on marketing. (laughs) I agree.
1: So as far as a full female-driven action film, how did you feel about it? Yeah,
0: I kind of felt like all in. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what to really expect. I don't know who the birds of prey are, so again, I have no background. I liked each of them, really um, interesting characters. I liked them even more when they all came together. I wish the movie had more of that.
1: I totally agree. Um, I
0: feel like the title was a little misleading, and hence probably why they changed the name of it. Um, but it was a good introduction to all of them. I kind of got them. And I love that you had four really strong females who are going through it with guys and were just done with all of these guys in their lives that have just screwed them over. And they're just like, I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't need this. Screw you. Revenge. Here we go. Let's work it. Fair enough. <laughs> I loved it. It was it was pretty empowering, honestly. And it's like kooky kind of way. Um, I thought it was really bright and colorful, and that's it's it was fun. very
1: bright and colorful. It's very stylish. Yeah. Did either of you feel like one this should have been a Harley Quinn movie or a Birds of Prey movie? Maybe not both.
2: Um, I think that it would have benefited by a, a more clear focus. Yes. Because um, I, I, I do agree with both you and Casey that I needed way more of the group together. But yeah, I, I think we it could have benefited from more of the Birds of Prey together as a group, as a unit. Um, and I think that part of that comes from uh, the idea that it was originally going to be... I think I read that it was originally going to be a Harley Quinn movie.
1: Yeah, it was a Harley Quinn vehicle.
2: And and she wanted to expand it with these other heroes.
1: Right, and they also got the idea to spin a team out of it. Yeah. Of course, more movies and whatnot, and but... It definitely I mean my favorite part of the film was when they were together in the very end after the big, you know, conclusion fight scene talking with each other and stuff like that was great. I sure. liked those characters. And we but, spent so much time on other characters that I didn't give a shit about. Like, so let me I let me ask Ewan you McGregor this. was terrible.
2: Let me ask you this, if the movie had been called Harley Quinn Colin Birds of Prey from the start, would that have changed your expectations going into it?
1: No. No, not necessarily. I still would have said this should have been a Harley movie or a Birds of Prey movie, but not both. Hmm. And, like, I thought Margot Robbie, I don't even like the character of Harley Quinn. I thought she was much more enjoyable in this film. They let her cut loose a little bit and have fun with the role, whereas last time she was like... I'm a wisecracking idiot making fun of something that could be the end of the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the stakes were a little lower in this one. They were still high, but there wasn't like an Aztec demon that was going yeah, to it was, destroy you know,
0: reality. Street yeah.
2: level. Yeah. Um, I, let's talk about the performances then, because you mentioned you and McGregor.
0: I thought I he hate did him. great.
2: I hated I did him. too.
0: I thought you McGregor was fantastic. He looked like he was having. The best time. I hated him. He was such a good bad guy because he was mean, but he was, like, creepy, and he was silly, but, like, I don't know. Every time he was on, I kind of wanted more of him. So,
2: like, this is what I picked up in the movie uh, from uh, Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor especially, is that they were playing these over-the-top kind of, uh, uh, you know, turn-to-eleven versions of these crazy, crazy characters. But there were these moments where that would break, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's when I when it clicked for me. I was like, "Oh, I get it. He's like legit off his rocker, and he's not just like prancing around, flailing his arms like a like a loon for no reason. He's just yeah. He's a legitimately terrifying, scary person. Like uh, in the the scene where uh, they're in the club, and uh, he makes the woman get up on the desk." Yeah, the one that's on laughing the, on at the her chair. Friends. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah, he's so paranoid that they're making fun of him, and he does this disgusting, distressing thing. Like that—that that veneer of him being wacky falls away, and he becomes like a nightmare. And like you don't really like—they very wisely don't. The director doesn't like focus on. The woman as as it's actually happening, you just see the people's reactions sure. and you see like um, you see Black Canary in the corner, like just like silently sobbing like Which, it, that was a
1: really legit scary moment. But it also takes away <sighs> from Black Canary's character for me. If she knows her boss is a terrible guy, she's known this and there's no way this is the first time we learn that he's crazy. There's no way <laughs> from what this guy gets away with. So it's hard for me to believe that she's like, hey, he got me off the street and I'm, and he gave me a job, so he must be pretty good. You've got to know this dude is a fucking full-on psychopath. You've well, had to have seen sure, it before.
2: But this is also <laughs> not the Black Canary that we are familiar
1: with. Of course. This isn't the
2: course. well-established, like, long-time experienced crime fighter. I, this I, is I just like some woman who she had a rough life she was raised on the streets and yeah so yeah she took a job because she was desperate and until
1: earlier in the story she was just like singing and i just felt like ewan mcgregor was trying like margot robbie was obviously uh, turned up to a million and i felt like ewan mcgregor was trying to do the same thing and it just didn't work for me
0: the whole movie was turned up to a million every time they spotted someone they'd pause and be like Grievance, why they hate me, and right. it was all super yeah. fun and like cross out eyes, skull face, yeah, and emoji, that's, and that's coming from Harley's, and that makes right. sense
1: when Harley's doing it. But I just didn't think you and it off. created was as well.
0: like that. Oh, I disagree. His costumes was fantastic. Like he just, I don't know, he was a good scary villain. Like Joe said, he can just like turn it off instantly. And maybe I'm
1: bringing, like, my, what I picture, black mask you th- are. into the you're, theater. You're maybe black, that's what I was you doing. You already
0: just said, not but, my, the Black Canary I know or want. But someone like me, I don't know those people. Right. So you can't make a movie that caters to Matt Baum. Uh, no, I agree. And, like, a certain, totally like, agree. 20 people that have read the comic I also just
1: something. don't think Ewan McGregor plays a good villain.
0: All right, let's sum it up. So
2: I really had a good time watching this movie. I thought that, like, tonally it was a ton of fun. Uh, it was bright, and it didn't take itself too seriously, and that's exactly what I would have expected from a movie centered on Harley Quinn. Um, yeah, I, I have a hard time finding anything that I really found egregious.
0: Yeah, my, my review, I would say word for word what Joe just said. I had a great time. It was fun. I liked the music. I mean, there were points where I laughed out loud, and there was other points when they were fighting, and I was like, oh, I was like, that was so good. Like, I spoke, in it, like, I don't know. It was great. I had a good time with it. I mean, it's not like my favorite movie in the world. I don't need to rush and, like, see it 400 times, but I liked it for what it was. It was a good time, and not knowing any background um, on those characters, except for, like, maybe Harley's name and kind of what she was. Sure. Um, yeah, I thought it was fun, and if they made a Birds of Prey sequel, I'd go see it.
1: I really liked Harley, and I that's coming from someone who doesn't even like that character, and I wish they would have just focused. I wish they would have focused this more and either stayed on that or got that group together right away. In watching like the end and everything. It was just, it was so predictable. And I'm like, ah, you could have done better than this. You could have done better. And there were moments I legit liked. I just, I think it lacked focus and it, they should have just picked one or the other. Don't do both. No reason to Casey. Thank you for joining us and discussing.
0: Thanks for Harley coming. Quinn, uh, colon
1: black and black. Uh, pardon me. Just
0: call it the birds. <laughs> Harley of prey Quinn maybe. colon <laughs>
1: birds of prey.
2: That was just a taste of our Birds of Prey review. Uh, we're gonna kick up the full version to Patreon, so you can hear the entire unedited thought vomit coming from Matt Bomb. We want to know what you guys thought of Birds of Prey, so hit us up in all the usual spots: cover to cover, the forums, the Facebook page. I'm not we'll gonna go full
1: spoilers this week. You yes, time, full, so we'll spoilers. full spoilers. This
2: spoiler warning should be before the review. <laughs> Editor's note. <laughs>
1: That is it for THN 561 And next time on the show Will be a lot of me apologizing For the shitty Valentine's Day gifts I got Joe And him crying about how I don't love him anymore So, feel free to skip that Joe Patrick introduced our new question of the week This week's question was submitted by Matt Baum In
2: honor of the viral fame he gained From his worst X-Men Twitter thread He wants to
1: know Who is your least favorite Avenger? And to be fair, I went after everybody that called Maggot out as the worst, because there's so many worse X-Men than Maggot. I love Maggot. (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely worse X-Men than Maggot. There's way worse X-Men than that. If you're new to the show and you wish two uh, mutant worms would crawl into our stomachs and kill us, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like our Scott Clark. We own him. Editing mistake. He's mine. He's (laughs) ours. You're ours now,
2: Scott. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to friend of the show, Phil Hester, who educated me on the subject of small town high schools this morning after I teased Superman heroes for depicting Smallville High as being three stories tall. Why would it need to be three stories tall? It's Smallville. (laughs) I
1: don't know. I mean, you know. My high school is three stories tall. My high school was one story. What did Phil tell What did Phil tell you about it? Where did he come uh, down? He
2: said it? old-timey school buildings were often multiple stories.
1: So smoke it. You're wrong. That's, you I, I said thank you. Where okay. do you, Phil. You're never too old to learn something. There you go. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or Phil Hester and your retailer might just show up to beat the shit out of you. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. He did immediately show up at my board, at my door and threaten me with violence. That part <laughs> that is true, about right? That's Phil. Ever since he lost all that weight, he got so mean. Jeez. <laughs> I'm happy he's healthy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs>